The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm delighted to welcome today to the show Greg Sams, who has recently authored a book, Son of God, talking about the consciousness of the sun. Greg, welcome to the show. Hello, Peter. Nice to be here. Well, I've got some uh, interesting questions to ask you, but actually what I'd like you to do is to speak uh, a little bit about uh, your, the earlier aspects of your life before you got involved with the sun and your adventures in pioneering natural foods. Well, that, that started way back in 1967 when my brother and I were the first people to ever sell organic brown rice and a host of other natural and increasingly organic foods in the United Kingdom, um, which is quite a, uh, a brave thing to do because the diet here was pretty poor. And we it started off with a restaurant, well, about two or three restaurants actually in a cafe over the years. And uh, that led to a natural food store so people could buy these things and eat them at home. Uh, that was in 1970. And then other shops wanted to stock these products. So having a retail shop led to having a wholesale manufacturing distribution uh, and a massive warehouse where all of this stuff went out from to different shops around the country. Um, and that was a, a really big business. It was a bit of a, a millstone or an albatross around, around our necks um, at that level. And... I then, in 1982, branched out um, and created the first ever veggie burger, which was a, everybody knows what a veggie veggie burger is these days. I don't have to explain what it is. (laughs) Certainly. But it was an unknown word in the language at that that point. It was so unknown, I was able to trademark it at the time. Um, And that was sort of my ticket out of the food business, um, because in 1988, I let go of Veggie Burger to a big company, and uh, I took a two-year advance installment on my retirement. I had lots of fun and parties for a couple of years, having been working <laughs> like a dog since I was 18 years old. Um, but then I discovered uh, to my chaos theory. I read this fabulous book, Chaos, by James Gleick, which is a quite a well-known introduction to chaos theory for many people. And that ended my retirement because I was determined to open the first shop that there ever was devoted to chaos theory. It was called, <laughs> it was called Strange Attractions just off the uh, London's Portobello Road. So what, uh, what, what goes into a chaos <laughs> store? <laughs> well, there was only about uh, 15 or 20 books on the subject at that point. So we obviously stocked all of them and we had some chaotic toys, things that would swing around unpredictably, but the main core of it was reproduction of the beautiful fractal images, Uh, and we had them on, I did posters and t-shirts and postcards, they're the usual thing, things, Um, but then there was a fiendish range of fractal jigsaw puzzles, um, and mug, and I put them on mugs and coasters and what have you, 
And that was great fun, but after a couple of years, I started licensing my the fractals that I'd come across or imaged to um, to other people through libraries and agencies, and that started to be much more fun and much less hassle than running a shop, so I kind of branched out into that instead. And um, But then, for me, the important thing about chaos theory was the message within it for us. So before before you go on to what happened next, perhaps you could tell us a bit about what that message through the chaos theory and the fractals, what that message is for us, actually. Really, it is that chaotic systems self-organize. Now, a chaotic system is something where you can't count how many bits there are in it. You can't predict what anyone is going to do, and any one of those bits is acting independently. And, you know, in a sense, that's a flock of, uh, you know, a thousand birds in the air. They're all acting independently, but they're creating an order. Or you could look at a rainforest where you've got all these different components coming together into one working entity without anybody deciding where the frogs and the rivers are going to go or when it's going to rain, stuff like that. Um, And scientists were getting really excited about this because they could look at the pattern on the ground from the sky and tell whether there was gold or iron underneath by looking at these sort of seemingly unrelated factors um, that are part of the organization. And I realized they would never look at human society because that's social sciences, which is scary to to science. You know, only thingbats get involved in social science. Um, But I thought the lesson was really key for humanity because we're all geared to top-down organization. You know, you've got to have people making all the rules and regulations, and if you don't keep to them, they damage you. So that's the motive, is do this or you'll be damaged, and certain people decide what should be done. Whereas when you look in the natural world, whether it's the organization inside a single human cell, or in a rainforest, or in a galaxy full of stars, you see this organization that comes from the bottom up and not the top down. So that was my, the message for us is let's let people self-organize. And you see where we have self-organized so much harmony and order um, coming out of things like music and the food industry. And wherever you don't have this control from the top down, you get lots of different variety and evolution. Or the airline industry is one you had, a couple of brothers, the Wright brothers, wanted to make a heavier aircraft, heavier than air machine, a flying machine. They had no idea that a uh, hundred years later people would be flying across the Atlantic in a few hours and planes with hundreds of people. That all came out of the chaos of human society. And that was really my, the message which led me to write my first book, which was called Uncommon Sense, The State is Out of Date. And it's really highlighting how well we do these things ourselves given time and how poorly the government performs when it thinks something like education or health is so important, they have to run it and control it. So how do, uh, how do fractal images then fit into this chaos theory? Um, <laughs> that's a terribly difficult question. But they are, they are showing self-organization actually happening in amongst the dots on a piece of paper, it's, it's that fundamental when you run a very simple equation across each point on that paper that takes the value of the paper, and you end up with this, this order and harmony coming out of it. And it's, it's the same sort of system that trees and mountains and coastlines use. Um, it's just, it's another, example of the universal organization that just takes place within the universe when things act independently. So essentially you're allowing each system within the universe to self-organize. Well, it's not not a question of allowing it to. There's nobody really stopping it from (laughs) (laughs) self-organizing. Nobody has to say, hey, you can do this. They just do it. So how how did that then lead into your interest in the sun and its role? Well, I, after I, um, a few years after I wrote Uncommon Sense, I was starting work on a new book. And my original 
theme of it wasn't actually the sun, but I started writing about the sun within a few pages and and very quickly realized that that was going to be the subject of the book because the sun is very much the missing piece in the jigsaw puzzle of the cosmos. We've got lots of people looking at quantum studies and looking at the universe. Um, and the sun is really the most important part of the world that we can identify. It's so essential to life on Earth. It's also essential to the, the maintenance and existence of the solar system. And it's one of countless billions and trillions of stars that make up this galaxy and the greater universe. Um, but for us, it's really a key factor. And in fact, when I, when I took my book, Son of God, into London's oldest independent occult bookshop called Atlantis near the British Museum, the, the legendary owner-manager S. Geraldine spread her arms out and said, we've got she, she was a great, I love this book, and she spread her arms and said, we've got this many books here on the, on the moon, but we haven't got a single book on the sun. And it's this sort of fabulous subject that's been covered up for um, some 16, 17 centuries. And because um, you know, people used to write books about the sun, and the next step would be burning at the stake. Um, <laughs> so, Greg, actually, we're coming up to our first break, not, to, not wishing to stop on a negative, but uh, here you have the opportunity to open up uh, all of our minds and hearts once again to the importance and significance of the sun in our lives. So we'll take this break now and we'll learn all about the sun on our return from Greg Sams, Spirit Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Are you looking to discover who you really are? Do you want to know your true self and your soul purpose? Tune in to Sacred Light Wisdom with your host, Seti Nave. Let Seti be your guide to be self-empowered and learn about the magical arts. SETI's guests are made up of practitioners, teachers, and life-minded people who are interested in more than just going through the motions. You will learn to manifest your dreams when you tune in to Sacred Light Wisdom, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on 7th Wave Network. Explore the infinite possibilities of the unknown. Learn about the mysterious and mythical realms through time and space. Realize your inner truth. Tune in to Spirit Walker with Dr. Jeffrey Pierce and co-host Cindy Pierce. Dr. Pierce is a true intuitive. He is legally blind, uses no cards, pendulums, or guides, and has been found to have 97% consistent accuracy based on testing by the United Kingdom Institute of Psychic Sciences Research Center. Listen for topics that others are afraid to address on Spirit Walker, Wednesday at 1 p.m. East, 10 a.m. West on 7th Wave Network. The new home for visionary positive change. 7th Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. And I'd like to return to my guest today, Greg Samson. Okay, thank you, Peter. Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And um, at that point, it became you know, banned. You know, From that point onwards, it was dangerous and illegal to consider the sun as a living object. And that still persists to this day. And, and even though this day we look back, you know, there's this great interest in ancient cultures, whether it's the Greeks or the Egyptians or the Mayans or in England and Europe, the Celts and ancient monuments like Stonehenge and the pyramids, where there, there are books and volumes written on these, these areas, and yet there's one common thread that connected all of those people, and there was one common motivation for building some of these amazing ancient monuments, and that was recognition of the sun as a divine life form. And some of these monuments were not just to sort of honor it, but to also channel vibrations to and from it. And that's completely overlooked by many of the experts on the Mayan calendar or the pyramids was the, the actual divine nature of the sun itself. And um, today we've got a lot of scientific knowledge about the sun and the solar system and the cosmos that wasn't available to these ancient people. But, but you know, if you were to take a Roman or an Egyptian or a Mayan sun priest and tell them what we know about the workings of the sun today, their jaws would drop. They'd have so much more reason to worship their chosen deity than they did without that knowledge. And... And we sort of think, a lot of people tend to think of the sun as this ball of hot gas in the sky that somehow you know, compressed under gravitational pressure and this reaction took place and then you know, the fusion reaction and sends light out to us. And it's just this handy light bulb in the sky that we just happen to benefit from. And that's like a really small-minded view of it because when you, you look at the science... Um, you find that, it, A, it's not gas, it's plasma, which is, it's, it's, it's the fourth form of matter. You have solid, liquid, gas, and plasma. Plasma is 99% of the universe. Um, it conducts electromagnetic fields very handily um, because it has an electron imbalance in the atoms. Um, and within the sun, you have, you have seven different layers, levels of the sun, and they're all performing completely different functions. And, I mean, the, the core is what we know about this sort of massive nuclear fusion reaction where five million tons of the sun's matter is converted to energy every second. Um, comparison in Hiroshima, what was converted was equivalent of a U.S. dime was converted to energy. So five million tons is a lot. And as you can imagine, that would be that would blast us all to kingdom come before we ever came into being even. But there's a there's a layer around that which is as thick as 25 Earths and as dense as gold at its leading edge. That's the radiative zone. And that keeps this in. And the next zone around that rotates around it at a different speed. So, so these layers rotating at different speeds, and then beyond the sun's atmosphere, you've, well, into the, beyond its surface, you have its atmosphere, which is these thin, thin layers, thin regions of, well, I was going to say plasma, but if you bottled this and brought it to Earth, you would call it a vacuum. It's so light on matter, but it's rich in energy fields. And one of the energy fields that spins off the sun is the heliosphere, and that is described as a spiraling electromagnetic bubble, and it encompasses all the solar system in its embrace. And were it not for that, the solar system would be eaten away by high-energy cosmic particles battering into it over the over millions of billions of years. So this is not really what you would expect from some dumb ball of gas, this sort of complex act activity. And you even have, uh, discovered two years ago by NASA, um, something that's described as a magnetic portal. And it's a, it's a clearly defined tube that comes out of the sun's 
corona stretches 93 million miles to this planet as the diameter of Earth. And this portal is a constant presence. And every eight minutes, tons of high-energy particles pass back and forth between it. So I think, hey, something might be going on here that we're not really aware of. So this is part of the, the, the conscious interaction then between the sun and the earth. That sounds like a pretty remarkable, uh, when you say magnetic portal, that, that, seem, that seems like an organized system. Yeah, very much. And we've got, we're, we're familiar with James Lovelock's Gaia theory, proposing that the earth itself is a living system. Um, but the sun is so much more than the earth i mean aside from if you could fit a million earths inside the sun it's this huge electromagnetic phenomenon and it's lots of different electromagnetic fields on it which are synchronized they're working together they, now that they have cameras that can view the whole sun they see that these solar events are connected and synchronized when you have solar flares coronal filaments coronal mass ejections and the sunspots, they can see them all working in a very coordinated manner. And that's these connected fields doing their thing. Now, there were some uh, major coronal ejections last week that people were concerned about their interactions with the Earth and, and our grid systems. Um, what, what do you say about that? Well, I say be, be concerned. Some of those things will affect in some of the systems we have on Earth because it's, it's high levels of plasma being projected to, towards us. And this is only in the last 10 years that we, that we would suffer these effects, if you like. Um, the biggest coronal mass ejection in the last century, what people noticed is that in Cuba, they could read newspapers at night from the brightness of it. And some of the telegraph poles went down. Um, so it's not something vindictive the sun is doing to us, but it, it is something that could mess up with, with things on Earth. Um, and it should make for some beautiful northern lights for people living in slightly northern, more than northern climates. Could you just give us actually an explanation of what the northern lights actually are? Because it's a beautiful, beautiful scene, isn't it? Yeah, it's fabulous. Well, I haven't seen it yet. I hope to. Um, it's one of the things on my list to do still. Me too. Uh, and it's, um, this is the, the, the field I was speaking about earlier. The heliosphere is made up of the solar wind, which travels through the solar system sort of 50 to 100 times the speed of sound. Its, it's, its speed it travels at varies. And this is a wind full of charged solar particles. And as it passes by Earth, and as it passes by all the other planets that have electromagnetic fields, um, as the Earth does, this, this wind, charged wind from the sun reacts with the electromagnetic fields of those planets, at the poles particularly. And that's when we get these wonderful dancing curtains of colored light in the sky. It's breathtaking. And even scientists are quite amazed when they see this um technically it's often described as you know two fields battling it out and here's the earth's magnetic field protecting it from the solar wind but in fact when you look at them it's like two different fields getting it on communicating and you know having a party perhaps <laughs> who knows it certainly is a beautiful as you say it's a, it is a beautiful dance when you see those curtains of light uh, interacting with each other Absolutely, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So I, I uh, want to get, get a little bit more of an understanding. We're coming up to our second break, actually, Greg. A little bit of an understanding of, of uh, when the ancients did interact with the sun, whether it be the, the Egyptians, uh, the sun worshippers, what their actual uh, connection was, what they understood and, and what they knew in terms of the sun and, and how they actually utilized that connection. Because obviously they went to great lengths to create structures to align with the sun. So I'd love to get your view on, on exactly what they were doing and what, what, they, what they knew about the involvement in the sun uh, in their lives at that point. So we'll, we'll take our break and we'll return with Greg Sams talking about the consciousness of the sun 
after this break. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Wondering what the heck is going on on planet Earth? Feeling time speeding up but your energy slowing down? Then there are those strange physical symptoms, sudden life and career shifts, a sense of loss of identity or purpose. As we rapidly move into a new dimension, the old structures are falling away. How will we navigate what is new? After all, the Ascension doesn't come with an instruction manual. Hillary Harris hosts Ascension 360, Navigating the New World Energies, airing live Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave Network. Ascension 360. Tune in to see how it all turns out. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. Listening on a Higher Dimension, 7th Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tong. Just wanted to let you know that I'm heading down to Las Vegas this weekend to appear on the Steve Rother Virtual Light Broadcast Show on Saturday between 11 and 2. Uh, you can go to www.lightworker.com forward slash virtual light to either watch that live or archived for free. And I'll be uh, chatting about some of my interests for half an hour or so on that show this Saturday. And now back to my guest, Greg Sams, who just before the break I was asking to tell us a bit about the sun worshippers and, and the ways in which the ancients made their connect, connection to the sun and really how much they knew about the significance of that. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult question to answer that, but I, I'll tell you when I began this book in the year 2000, I was checking online for information about ancient sun worship, and you'll never guess where I found it all. I mean, the only source, this was in 1970, um, was on Christian websites. I found out, you know, all about these terrible people who used to worship the sun. Oh, okay, I see, yeah. And, of course, (laughs) they, back in the uh, 4th century, um, there was a mass burning and destruction of all pagan temples, libraries, schools, universities, of which there were many, the the most famous one being the Library of Alexandria that was destroyed by a Christian mob because it was all pagan knowledge and information. And, you know, we wonder how they built the pyramids. There was probably a manual on pyramid making at the Library of Alexandria. Um, But we know that they got, they, they channeled, stellar 
you know, solar and stellar energies into the earth, into themselves. Um, we know that there were rods that they used in ancient Egypt. They're called rods of Horus or rods of Mott. We're giving them different names, but they were filled with different metals to help us channel solar and earth energy through our bodies. Um, I suspect they were downloading information from that light and through that solar connection. Um, as I say, a lot of that, uh, that information has been lost. Some people get, get it through you know, ideas of it through trance. Um, but we know that it, the sun was quite important to the early Christian church. And this came through from the Essenes to the Cathars, a recognition of the importance of the sun. And the Cathars believed that in the Eucharist, um, the light of the sun was the bread and its warmth is the wine. So this was the, the body and wine of Christ, the body and blood of Christ they were getting through sunlight. And... Um, of course, they were wiped out as well in the 12th century. So um, I think it's an exciting field for us to rediscover, in fact. And with the scientific knowledge we have about the sun today, if we can get rid of the, the headset that just assumes sun worship is primitive and ignorant, um, we can actually put some of this knowledge to use and maybe even derive more connection and more benefit from the sun than they were able to do so. And of course we do know that the, uh, the the Templars and the Masons built the Gothic cathedrals again based upon the alignments of the sun of course very craftily used stained glass to uh, incorporate the, the sun energies inside the cathedrals again uh, with the church not knowing what was really going on there. Yeah, there's, I mean there's just a wealth of data online from Christians who are outraged about all the sun symbolism that is evident within the Christian church. Um, from the monstrance that the Pope carries around to the layout and the design, and you always have, whenever you see pictures, divine pictures um, or representations of Jesus, you've often got the sun in the background or glinting through the clouds. And, and, of course, Sunday is the day that people go to church, and December 21st was the birthday of numerous solar deities in the past. Um, and this gets Christians upset. Well, because I'm, I'm upset that all that has been obscured by Christianity. I'd like the pure sun worship. And, of course, the term worship used to mean imbuing the vibrations and the essence of that which you are worshipping. It wasn't the sort of throwing yourself in the, in the ground with your eyes shut. It was actually a connection and an absorption, which is a great thing to do with the sun, of course. So why was it so important to discount the sun from the Christian perspective? Um, because it was the main competition. That, that was what everybody used to worship. And the Roman Church had this very different, I mean, it's very hard to know what Christianity was like before the Romans got their hands on it, because that was when it was very much organized, codified, the Council of Nicaea hammered out what the stories and dates and saints were, and and ordered all other gospels and documents and records to be destroyed on pain of death. Um, so, yeah, and they, they, they built churches with the pulpit facing east so people would have their backs to the sunrise. And if you had any sort of covert sun worships, you could, worshippers in there, you could spot them because they'd be watching the sunrise coming up, which was verboten. Um, yeah, it was, big, it was big competition because that is the hardwired, natural thing to worship. So, so now that we are returning back to the knowledge that, in fact, the sun is a conscious living organism, and so are we, uh, what should we as human beings be doing in terms of our connection with the sun? I think the first step is the realization that it is a life form. Um, once 
that is in place, much of the much of the what follows will come to be um, on a societal level. I mean, I do I do sun gazing now, which I started off with my eyes shut, just absorbing the energy of the sun. Um, we have to let go of our fear of sunlight, which is a, a, a terrible thing that's been introduced. You know, we, we've we've lived from the sun, from its light, for a few million years um, without sunblock or UV sunglasses, and and now you know it, it's been demonized in the same way that the church used to demonize it to to make us frightened. So we have to let go of that fear and absorb the vibrations because they're, they are incredibly healthy for us. Um, the, the, the pluses of it are immense con- compared to the, the negatives. Obviously, if you have red hair and white skin, um, you have to be careful with your sun, or sun exposure and take more care with it, but it's still a very good thing to take in. Um, from a spiritual point of view, we are powered, all of the energy of life that we express is recycled sunlight. Um, that's what we take in through photosynthesis that creates energy in plants. A life is recycled sunlight. Our bodies are made from recycled stardust. So we're, we're very much children of the stars, and yet we we screen them out. We think they're dead balls of gas and we're, we're very much spiritual orphans until we bring the sun back into our hearts. And that's, and of course we don't need special buildings or clothes or intermediaries between us and the sun. It's, it's there. It's sending its vibrations down to us. That's what light is. It's an actual vibration coming from this living, loving being, and making us feel good. I mean, we, we, we all feel good on a bright, sunny day, on, you know, which we don't on rainy, gray days. And, and we don't question why we feel good on a sunny day. We just take it for granted. But, you know, you can turn the heat up and the lights up in a room, however much you like. It doesn't create that same feeling. And, and there's a reason for that, because... The sun loves us, if I can make, be new agey about it. <laughs> just, just return to your comment there about we, we being made up of stardust. Just explain that for us. Well, in the early universe was hydrogen and gas and a little bit of helium. And all we know about those is you can put them in a balloon and it will rise up because it's lighter than air. Um, it was stellar nucleosynthesis, it's called. It's it's a process within a star that turns hydrogen and helium into all the other elements. That's carbon and oxygen and iron and gold and everything in between. They're all created out of this stuff that you would put in a hydrogen balloon. And that's stars. They're the transmutation machines of the cosmos. And 93% of the, the matter in our bodies used to be part of a star. The other 7% is the hydrogen that's been here since the beginning of the universe. Wow. So, so this is really getting us to tune in to who, who we really are and what we're really connected to. Absolutely. It's a, it's a very important thing. And it's, I mean, I, after seven years of working on the book, what amazed me most of all was not the the astounding aspects of the sun and the cosmos, what amazed me was that we had somehow forgotten the nature of the source of life, our sun, and how this had been so thoroughly burned out of our culture over 1,600 years. And I thought, God, we've got to, we've, it. Was, to me, it was as important a message as getting through to people that what we eat affects our health, which is where I started off as a young man. <laughs> It's really interesting that you've come full circle in that sense, isn't it? From beginning off looking at the natural foods and now looking close to it, where it all originates from, from the sun itself. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, so, Greg, we're just coming up to our final break now, and I'm going to ask you some 
tough questions in this last segment. Oh, no. Try and, piece, try and piece it all together for us in terms of how this all fits together in, in the biggest picture of all. If you okay, I'll try. Where the sun fits in and how this works in terms of uh, the universal energies. Uh, this is Peter Tung for Awakening for Conscious Co-Creation. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Seventh Wave Network. Can you define your talent in six words or less? Are you using your inner resource, intuition? Listening to Joyce Anderson of Conversations with Yourself will work your intuitive muscle to discover your divine skill. Each week, your host, Joyce Anderson, will give you practical exercises to jumpstart your intuition, to live in your talent. From sports to business to music to food, talent is everywhere. Join Joyce and her engaging guests to hear their how-to stories. Tune in to Conversations with Yourself, Thursday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. And ignite your talent. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to your host, Peter Tung. Um, on Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. just want to remind you of my own website, www.petertongue.com, where all of our archived shows can be listened to, as well as all of the stuff that I'm involved in. And also www.myheartcenteredjourney.com, where we have our current teleseminar series, Love, Laugh, Learn, as we move into the throat chakra this evening. The, you can join up for this and listen to it currently, or you can also join in archived when the seven-part series is over. And also my Ambassadors of Light program also runs through www.myheartcenterjourney.com. And I'd like to return to my guest today, Greg Sams. And, and before we go any further, Greg, perhaps give you the chance to let the listeners know how they can access your information and your books. Okay, well, I've got two websites. Um, one is sonofgod.net. That's obviously spelled S-U-N of God, dot net. And the other is gregorysams.com. That's S-A-M-S for Sams. Um, you can get the book through, books through, via both of them, or you can get them directly from Amazon, the book depository, or any other online retailer, book retailer around the world. And it's... That Son of God, the, the subtitle on that is Discover the Self-Organizing Consciousness that Underlies Everything, because just a bit of the book about is about the sun, and the rest of it is really what the implications are of stellar consciousness. Which is exactly what I wanted you to talk about now, which was, was when we talk about the consciousness of the sun and the self-organizing principles below that, that, that's what I would really like you to focus on now, actually. So just talk to us about that. Um, 
with the recognition of the sun as a living organism, we have to look at how it's made up. And it's, you know, stars begin as clouds of cosmic dust. It's actually you know, hydrogen, helium in a plasma state. And there are also electromagnetic fields coursing throughout the universe. Um, but that condenses into the living star with the different layers and electromagnetic field come up that is then taking matter and turning it into energy which is creating other forms of matter and in our case we're, we're turning that matter into energy so there's a sort of birth rebirth thing going on but once you see the complexity of a star you know you've either got somebody outside the system this sort of you know long bearded god in his white robes deciding where each hydrogen atom is going to be placed within this star and putting it there and doing that or you're looking at self-organization such as that which takes place in a termite mound or in a human brain where you've got you know millions of termites and billion or, or billions of nerves of neurons in our brain and they're both creating something from the bottom up without somebody being in charge and saying, okay, you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're going to build that. Um, and that leads you to, well, the same realization that, that, that the famous quantum physicist David Bohm had. He, saw, he created an electron soup in 1942 and he recognized that, or he seemed to him, that the individual electrons were operating like living beings and that they were aware of what was going on in their surroundings. And this really you know, takes us on a, on a hardwired route towards the concept of universal consciousness. This, it's been called chi or prana or organ energy or holy spirit, but this consciousness that kind of pervades everything. Um, and that's it. You know, we have we're brought up with this idea that only human beings have consciousness and intelligence. And you know, we've been here for a snap of the fingers in the lifetime of the universe, and we have this really arrogant concept that only we have intelligence. And is looking at the sun makes you, you know, inevitably leads you to the recognition that intelligence is everywhere and it's vastly different types of intelligence and then different motivations behind free will but it's but it is everywhere and so the next step i guess for you is to look beyond the sun and how all the solar system and the galaxies and universes interact with each other well yeah i mean i i, I to begin on that one of the original titles for my uh, subtitles for my book, it was going to be Son of God. It may be everything to us, but it's just a bright spark in the mind of the cosmos. And we're here again looking at this bottom up organization that creates a galaxy. Galaxy has got hundreds of billions of stars in it. And they're not scattered randomly about. Um, stars live in communities within the galaxies. You've got hundreds or thousands or five or ten million stars in a cluster. So they have little cities of stars within within the galaxy. Um, they're all putting out their own unique electromagnetic signals, but the galaxy as a whole has its own unique signal that it puts out. It's like the higher organism made up of all these lesser organisms of the stars within it. In the same way, you know, maybe, maybe that our brain is a higher organism made up out of all these sort of individual neurons firing off within it. Um, and you have this, again, it's fairly recent discovery or recognition of electromagnetic fields that span a galaxy you know, we've got the ones spanning, going in and out of our solar system that, that connect the sun to the earth and to the other planets. 
but you have stars connected to each other by electromagnetic fields. You have galaxies connected by electromagnetic fields. And we don't really know what's going on in an electromagnetic field. It's a, uh, you know, we can measure the intensity, we can see where they are, but, but what's going on, we, we know about as much as, as we do about the the signals that our neurons send to each other and the electromagnetic fields that course around our own our own brain and our mind. So that's you know it's a very connected connected system our our universe. It's um it's not some random assembly of just doing stuff. It's a living it's a living presence. And so we're, we're coming up to towards the end of the show, Greg. So having said that, with this connected vastness of a system in in your work and your experience and, and knowledge and expertise how do we human beings fit into this big picture um we are part of it you know we're all you know we are one it sounds like a far eastern cliche but we, we really are all part of the one vibration we all emanated from the original energy or matter of the universe has all evolved into us and stars and different types, different manifestations of the energy of life. And ours is a pretty brilliant manifestation of the, of the energy of life. We're recycling sunlight and solar matter in a really lovely format as human beings. And the big missing connection is to recognize our, our mother and our father of, in the stars and to connect with that which brought us life and which sustains our life. Well, Greg, that's a, that's a wonderful place to finish, and I really appreciate your eloquence and your brilliance, and, I, and I'm really glad that you uh, brought this book, Son of God, out, which is a must-read, I believe, for us, for us to understand our connection to all that is. So I really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you, Greg. Okay, thank you, Peter. So another interesting show coming up next week with Anna Vidal and Antoinette O'Connell, two women who've teamed up to do wonderful work with what they are calling Dragon Essences, and they will describe to us how they have come together and now are on this beautiful healing journey to help the animal kingdom as well as the human kingdom. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Uh, we have a big pile of snow building up in my hometown here, which is very unusual. So I'm going to enjoy some time this afternoon uh, clearing my driveway. I hope you have a wonderful week. It's Peter Tang for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.